five, four, three, two, one. Welcome to another episode, a bonus episode of the Ready, Set, Poem podcast, your premier source for the Vancouver Titans and the Toronto Defiant. I am Chris at Lightforce, joined virtually by Jordan Answer, Dr. JM, not here uh, for our bonus episode is Omni at Omni Strife, though I imagine uh, we'll look to have him back for our regularly scheduled episode next week. But uh, Jordan, how goes the battle? The battle goes, and it goes, and it goes. I'm pleased to announce that uh, I know I spoke in the past about not having been playing too much overwatch well uh i completed the fortnite battle pass so now i'm gonna jump back into overwatch (laughs) so so you you have gone full fortnite now like that that game's got its claws in you it certainly has i um i didn't buy the premium version and i still Mm. wound up completing the entire thing and i've gone past the you know end of it and everything but uh at the same time, it was driven by a certain challenge that I just wanted a certain reward, and I got it, and now I'm excited to get back into Overwatch, especially with uh, some of the balancing patches and things that have been changing recently. Um, I'm looking forward to it. So, uh, Build or no build? No build. Of course, no build. I would never have touched the game with build. In fact, I did once yeah. upon a time, and just no. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, for those that don't know what we're talking about in, in Fortnite Battle Royale, the... There are two modes. There's build and no build. Build is where you can you build structures out of material, what have you. And I remember when the when it was the f- first introduced, you build boxes like oh, yeah. you know small little box. You'd sit in your box. You might have a ramp to you know get some some leverage, what have you. And then um, the kids, these young people, let me tell you, with the quick twitch, uh, they started, you know, you know, you'd build your box. And then the amount of time it took you to build your box, the kids would build themselves like the Eiffel Tower, oh, yeah. like the full on replica in game. Um, yep. And yeah, I, I am a no build fan. I like the no build experience, you know, just, just let me run around, shoot things exactly. and have a good time without having to worry about someone building, you know, the Taj Mahal and you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yes, uh, this is an Overwatch League podcast, and uh, we are going to be joined in a short moment by a very special guest. Uh, we've got the head coach of the Toronto Defiant, Kassaretz. Uh He will be uh, connecting very shortly to talk a little bit about uh, the upcoming season, everything that went into the, the, the roster um, and, and how it was put together and anything else that we can uh, potentially think of. Um, the uh, time that we have with him is a little bit shorter. I mean, I know for those of you who listened to our regular episode last week, Baroy had joined us for, for close to an hour. We had a little bit less with, with, uh, Kisora's just, again, it's the timing of things. It's the start of a, uh, a preseason, I guess. Right. I think scrims, mm-hmm. uh, sound like they're getting underway. Uh, if you didn't already know, based on the, the unofficial <laughs> scrims that had been leaked and then, uh, uh, Papa Punk dropping word in Titans cord that scrims are, are in NAR are in uh, well underway. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm looking really, uh, forward to, to hearing uh, his perspective. So, you know what? Uh, let's bring him on. Moving the payload. Join me. So we're pleased to be joined by the head coach of the Toronto Defiant. We have Cass, Cass Sorez. And all did I, did I get your handle correct? Is it Cass Sorez? Uh, we've, we've yes, had this perfect. debate here. Yeah. My oh, real okay. name is Cass. So I just mm-hmm. added something. Um, so yeah, you, you prefaces the Cass and then you say Orez. You could say it however you want. 
Well, I mean, we'll call you Casoras uh, for the the purpose of the hero. I think that's what most people will probably will know you as. I I remember we were, we were setting up this this interview. Um, the uh, in Keller invite had his name, and I'm like, oh yeah, no, this makes sense. That's who it is. I wouldn't expect it to say Casoras in an, an email invite. But uh, welcome to uh, to RSP. Thanks for for taking time out of your your schedule and uh, and, and joining us. Um, you know, I, I thought it would be a good opportunity for our listeners who um, may not know a whole lot about you to, you know, get to know how uh, you've sort of come to be. And I, I mean, we were looking at Liquidpedia and, and I can see that, you know, you started off as a, as a coach in Atlanta with the Overwatch League. Uh, you found your way to uh, Young and Beautiful in the Tier 2 scene for a, a short spell and then San Francisco for arguably some very successful seasons. And now you are here in, in Toronto as uh, as head coach. Uh, but can you tell us a little bit about this journey? Like, you know, what got you into Overwatch, um, you know, let alone esports? Right. So so when I started out, I was actually a pretty competitive League of Legends player. I played some, mm-hmm. like, lands in the Netherlands. Like, nothing, nothing serious, right? Nothing, like, tournament level, thousands of dollars, you can make your job out of it. But I won, like, a chair and I won, like, a PC, <laughs> uh, just a couple of, like, land tournaments. So, so I loved competing, like, from that mm-hmm. point. Um, I think... It was around like season five or six of League of Legends that Overwatch came out and like everybody started talking about it and getting hyped for it. So I started playing it. Uh, and, you know, me as like a 19, 20 year old, I uh, starts playing this game. And, you know, back then people would scout off like quick play stats because there was no ranked game mode yet. You know, it was like a, a beta. Um, so I got like invited to a team just off my stats and it was mm-hmm. like, eventually it was like some pretty decent team. Um, but yeah, that was really fun. And then, you know, Overwatch season one came out and everybody had like the, the number ranking, you know, before they, they introduced like the whole ranking system that they, they still have now. Um, but yeah, I'd say I did pretty decently at the start of Overwatch. I played for a couple of like tier three teams, and then eventually I made my own team, and we made contenders. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it was it was quite apparent, you know. I swapped from main tank to support, and I was doing mostly stuff on the strategy side, and I loved calling in game and how to lead a team. Mm-hmm. And then um, I got offered by some of the players I'd worked with as like a player before to come coach for their team. Uh, and this was one point for the people, you know, that that still remember that team. But this had the names of like Mir and Brusen, uh, Fat and Scalar, you know. So so it had some names that y- you still mm-hmm. see around today. Um, and we didn't end up doing too too well, but it taught me a lot. It taught me like how to work with players, how to you know segregate myself from being a player and being a coach, how to put yourself in that position. Uh, and mostly of all, just that I had fun coaching, you know, mm-hmm. I think that is the most important thing in anything you do. Um, so from there, there was actually Aero who made this giant discord, the the head of the coach of the Dallas Fuel. Uh, mm-hmm. He made a giant discord and he put all tier two coaches in it uh, that were currently on a contenders team. And at the time, this was season one of the Overwatch League was going on. Uh, so Aero makes this Discord with all Tier 2 Contenders coaches, has them all like make a resume and send mm-hmm. it into him. And he distributed that to all the the expansion teams, the six expansion mm-hmm. teams nice. that came out that year. Um, and 
some of them did tryouts. Uh, Atlanta Rain ended up doing a tryout with with about forty coaches. Uh, I ended up being their top pick, and, and they really liked me from the interviews and, and you know the analytical tryout they did. Um, so that's how I got started. And then, like you said, uh, we did the, the the stunt with with Atlanta. We didn't do bad for our first season. Uh, I think we could have done better, but six for a first year team. I think we did probably the best out of any expansion team, except for of course Vancouver, who picked up all of <laughs> Runaway. Um, <laughs> so from like the newly formed teams, we did the best. So and then yeah, after that year, um, we had figured you know we we didn't have a Korean coach and it was it was a mixed team. Mm-hmm. Um, so since I ended up you know, doing most of like the player interactions and they wanted some Korean coach to do more of the player interactions. Uh, I was ended up let go, uh, which speaking candidly was of course like a pretty big shock. So I started learning Korean. Um, I thought I'd done quite well that year on the team, but I think, you know, I also learned a lot because it was just my first year now. Uh, mm-hmm. And then I went back to tier two just because I had a lot of passion for Overwatch and I went into streaming and doing VOD reviews and everything. Um, and I think, you know, doing that and putting in that effort and showing that, you know, I'm putting so much hours into this game, uh, analyzing the game and like doing like stuff on stream. The, you know, SF Shock manager, Chris, uh, who's been working there, you know, since the end of season one. Uh, noticed that and they, they needed a hand to come in for the playoffs to like analyze the enemy teams, show their weaknesses, show up some stuff. Uh, so I came in, you know, we ended up winning. Uh, I felt I did a very good job. So I was hired as a full-time coach the next year. Um, and yeah, the, the shock, you know, I feel like in that year we got fourth. Uh, but when you're coming from the shock who just came off a championship victory and you get fourth, it feels like losing, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, and I, you know, being a Toronto defined, but, you know, first and foremost, Vancouver Titans fans, obviously the San Francisco shock, uh, in that first Titan season were, were a thorn, um, <laughs> for reasons, which Mortal you can enemies. probably guess why. And then, you know, the thing about these two teams is one team has continued to see success, has expectations that are, you know, I would presume is, you know, you know, first or worse. And I don't mean to make such wide, you know, birth there, but it, it is that we are, we want to be the best. We are going to be the best. And therefore that's, that's it. And I think this sort of maybe segues into, you know, what you sort of see with Toronto. I mean, you're coming from a team who I think has very high expectations with the San Francisco Shock into a team with the Toronto Dauphin, who we've had opportunity to speak to, you know, the previous head coach, KDG, uh, Adam Adam, who's joined us and have talked about, you know, very high expectations. Would you say that they are just as high as maybe the Shock or is it a, a scenario where, hey, we want to be there, but there's a journey involved. And here's what, you know, we're going to target for, for this season and then, you know, subsequent seasons beyond. I think the, the strength of the shock is that their coaching system, right, with Krusty at the helm, has mm-hmm. been in place since, you know, the end of season one. So they've been able to refine that and structure that as things go on. Um, of course, I want to get first, you know. Um, but realistically, what I'm trying to do is set up a structure, a coach led from the top down system this year mm-hmm. that will work for the next few years where we can build on 
hopefully repetitive success that will attract more players. And then, you know, you go from there, right? I think, of course, we are going to to go for winning, right? We want to mm-hmm. win. Uh, we'll do everything in our power to win. Uh, and the expectations for AT coming back together as a whole, mm-hmm. which is what this roster is, is also very high. So I'm trying to make it an environment where success, you know, is built, but winning is not the end goal right away. I'm trying to, you know, get these guys in a mindset of if we just do the right steps, winning mm-hmm. will come as a side effect. It's not we win this match, okay, you keep playing. You don't win this match, I'm gonna sign different players. You know? That's not the goal here. We wanna like build year on year. Uh and this is almost, you know, what I like to see is the first year of that rebuild. Um Toronto's given me a lot of authority. So I'm really trying to make this, you know, team that's been mid uh flourish again. Speaking of the uh, American Tornado core that you've got there, um, I'm curious because we've seen a couple of, you know, interviews with you. Um, you know, Yiska did an interview with the whole team, which was great and everything like that. Everything that I think we've heard is the players talking a lot about, uh, you know, we made a pact that if none of us won the league, we were going to come back together, all that kind of stuff. I'm curious, were you brought to Toronto and told we want them? Or was that something that was more in the back of your mind when you started looking for a position? Yeah, so when I when I was brought out to Toronto, they didn't say like anything in that sort. I was given full freedom with the nice. roster, uh, and I was considering my options. I was thinking, do I make a mixed roster mm-hmm. where I make people come together because I do speak Korean, uh, and I think, you know, of course, for future seasons too, being able to, to not bound yourself to one language could, could be very good to build on. Mm-hmm. But I thought this opportunity is, is so good to pass up. And, you know, these guys wanted to play together so much that a lot of them took pay cuts to come here. And, you know, I've worked with Sam and Collusion in the past, and I've seen how, you know, their whole system works. And I felt that, that that works very well with the system I want to create, which is a family where you have your expectations, you have your rules set, everybody has their responsibilities. But I think, you know, the more synergy you have as a team you could see this on the dallas fuel last year i don't think mm-hmm. those guys were the best players in every role right I, i'd like to think that on shock we might have had the better players but <laughs> they played so well together and the way they moved around the map is i wouldn't say i'm trying to recreate that exact system but i do think a team that um trusts in each other almost completely in the game mm-hmm. is going to have insane results like that and punch above their weight class. So I'm trying to get these guys, you know, to almost play to their max potential while also playing as a team, which I think some of those guys, you know, didn't show everything they had in the tank last year. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think, you know, playing with me, hopefully we can make them show, you know, what they're all capable of and make them, you know, feel some of that American tornado success that they had in contenders. So, you know, I guess this, ties into a question that I had more in a general sense. I mean, when it comes to building a roster in the offseason, whether it's this particular roster you have or really any roster, is it about best player available or would you look at best player within the context of a team? Because we often see this argument in the scene like, oh, well, this player is better than that player. You should have got that player. You should have got that player. Like you see this, you know, fantasy roster building take place where it's all about 
best player available. But then what seems to be lacking in that, you know, fantasy roster building experience, that doesn't always translate to success. So is it fair to say that you see the best player within the context of a team as the priority? Uh, Yeah, I definitely say so. I think, you know, you can sign seven, six star players on a team. But that that doesn't bring any guarantee that you're going to win a championship, right? I think mm-hmm. every player has to fit in the system that head coach wants, right? You can't have one player that wants this system and then one player that wants that system and then, you know, have them argue and fight over it. I think the struggle for a lot of teams that are building, for example, mixed teams, it's that... Uh, there's a massive culture difference in the team. And I think one reason, for example, why it's worked on shock so well is because, you know, they have a bilingual head coach. So he mm-hmm. can, you know, facilitate both sides and help each other out. I think, mm-hmm. you know, when I was thinking of building this roster, I could have thrown, you know, money at superstar players. But if I did that and it flubbed and I was paying or Org was paying a lot of money to these players. Um, you know, who knows what next year would look like, right? Mm-hmm. So, I try to build a team that already has synergies that we can keep adding on. So, even you know, my recruiting this year has been more I'm not going for superstar players, I'm going for a team that I can mold. Gotcha. And you know, in, in that identification process, um, you know, one of the things that we found in speaking to a number of different people over the course of our time as a show, um, is that different teams do it different ways. It sounds like you had quite a bit of influence in constructing the roster areas and other teams. It's a collaborative experience between a general manager and a head coach. And in some, it's the GM puts them together and then the head coach is sort of one of those, you know, they, in this case, it would be the sixth person on the, on the roster, right? Your experience in Toronto was where you had more of that that ability, or was it more collaborative between, let's say, you and I? I think Stella, right? So I believe that you know, if you're a coach, um, you should put your own roster together because, let's say, you know, it's a collaborative effort. Well, collaborative mm-hmm. can be you know anyway, but let's say the GM puts it together, right? Mm-hmm. And then in the middle of the season, the GM holds you accountable. Right, they say like, "Oh, you haven't been doing well. What's been going on?" Then the coach can counter with, "Oh, you gave me this roster, but this player's not good. That player's not good. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this is uncoachable, right?" But I'm building the roster, so if a GM says, uh, "You're not doing well. What's going on?" I can't mm-hmm. say like, "Oh, this player's not good. I chose that player, right?" Um, so that's on me as well. So I think, you know, just for the coach and the team to be a cohesion. I think building the team as a coach is is one of the most important parts because my job is knowing the game, right? It's not a GM's job to know everything about the game and who's the best player. Um, So I hope I can do a better job than a GM. But when it's a collaborative effort, right, I think it's also very good because usually the GM has a lot of input from, you know, the top down what the org likes to see. And then Mm -hmm. the coach obviously, you know, has his own values uh, and you can come together uh, where, you know, there's not a clash between the org and the team at some point, right? So I think both sides have, have their advantages. I'm personally not a fan of like a GM-led roster just because then the coach can say, hey, um, you know, you built this roster for me, but it's just not good. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Um, with the, the roster that you have, I mean, 
was everyone equally impressive or did anyone sort of stand out where you're like, wow, this person did not, uh, you know, expect that from them. I think they're going to, you know, pop off going into the season. Like, was there any of those moments or was it collectively like, yeah, this is the group. This, this is, this is a unit and when, and we need it all. Right. Of course I got this, this roster as a unit. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I like to tell myself there's no like starts our players on our roster. There's no proper, right? Anybody mm-hmm. can see that. Um, I think, you know, this team has to function as a unit to do good for, as for like players that I think has the most upward potential this year compared to how they did last year. Um, I think both Ultraviolet and Speedily, who are on Atlanta, are very, very talented players that I feel like I can. I can give a lot to them and they can give a lot to me. Uh, so they are definitely two players that I'd look out for. And then, of course, um, you know, there's Kaluj who has had the most success last year on on this team, also mm-hmm. working with me. Um, and, you know, he's going to try his hand at solo tanking. Um, so I think, you know, if he can keep improving at the rate he did last year, where, you know, in the stage one, his monkey, you know, did not have a very versatile play style. He just had one play style. Um, but and he can keep improving and keep becoming more of a leader. I think he can be, you know, the the MVP candidate this year. Oh, wow. Um, you know, we asked a question of of Sean Miller, not that he would have the answer, but it's about Kaluge. How much influence did Kaluge's uh, family have on the decision of bringing him to Toronto? Because at the summer showdown, I think it was quite apparent. Kaluge had like twenty people there in his own cheering section. You know, I mean, I'm curious. Did the organization say, hey, we? That's a good group of people we'd like to get involved in and what have you. I mean, I, I jest, um, but it's just interesting how in that, you know, one LAN event where his family showed up en masse and, hey, look, you're, you're here with him in, in Toronto this season. Uh, I don't think his family in particular had anything to do. With it. I think the one thing that did help from that event is that all the players got to see Toronto, right? And they mm-hmm. saw that they liked it. They liked the city. Um, it became familiar to them because they were here for the summer showdown. Not all of them. Atlanta didn't make it, but their <laughs> friends could tell them about how cool it was, <laughs> yeah. at least. Um, and, you know, I feel like that left a very good impression. And they were also talking to some other teams, right? Uh, but being unfamiliar with their coach and being unfamiliar with their city, I think they were very inclined to to come to Toronto um, just because, you know, they've a lot of them have worked with me before and um, they saw, you know, how, how good the city is, how nice the public transport, how easy it is to Uber around um, and how clean it is. I think Toronto mm-hmm. is a very clean city so far. Um, so, you know, I, I feel like the summer showdown, definitely helped in the process of getting these players maybe not in the context of Kaluja's family but i mean <laughs> if we ever have another land event them coming over and supporting us that's that's always fantastic yeah um you know not that you'd even be able to answer this question but any chance there'll be a land event in toronto i hope so yeah. I, I i don't know anything but i i think you know in the context of having be able to show people our city again and, you know, show potential future players the city um, and seeing how good it is. Now it's a little bit cold, but during the season, it should warm up. Um, is always an awesome opportunity. I think, you know, Toronto, as far as I've lived here, which hasn't been very long, has mm-hmm. been has been very nice. The uh, You know, I guess, you know, 
being that you haven't been there that long, but you've had an opportunity to explore a little bit. I mean, is there anything about, you know, Toronto or maybe more generally Canadian culture that surprised you? Um, I think there's a lot of sort of stereotypical belief as to what Canada might be about or Canadians happen to be. But is there anything there you were like, wow, that, I didn't expect that? Oh, so we went on our, our boot camp this mm-hmm. um, this past like few days. I just got back actually yesterday. Um, and one thing we noticed is we went out on a walk one morning to, to this massive lake, which was frozen over. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was basically surrounded by, you know, vacation houses and cottages. Uh, so we were walking around and a lot of people were shoveling their, their street. Uh, as you do in in Canada, apparently, when it's snowing this much, <laughs> um, and something that left a very good impression of me is like everybody said hello and they said hi and they they had a talk and you know eventually you know we were walking around for a little bit we were trying to get to the lake because it looked really cool it's frozen over, um, and you know we asked this this one old man. Uh, we asked him like, how do we get to the lake? And he was like, oh, you can just come through my property, you know? <laughs> so he showed us how to get to the lake and he showed us all the like cool places. So I think very hospitable, uh, people here so far. Uh, I haven't had any bad encounters yet. And I think other than that, the food is really good. Yeah. Uh, food in Toronto. I think it's very diverse, very good. We had the Korean food the other day, which was just fantastic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's interesting to mention, you know, the diversity of food. It's it's something that we've actually heard from, um, you know, the players that we've spoken to, the coaches, and, and those in the organization. And I, I genuinely wonder. I mean, obviously, myself and Jordan, we're Canadian. We're a little biased here. We sort of come to expect this, but how the diversity in the food is always like, wow, I didn't expect this at all. And I, you know, I'm always left to wonder, is that because there's this belief there? uh, And I don't know if it's an American influence or this perspective of North America as as a, as a much broader sense, but uh, yeah, no, definitely. I mean, if you've had an opportunity to come to Vancouver, I won't claim to say it's as diverse in regards to Toronto. I mean, and Toronto is just bigger as far as cities are concerned, but there's quite a bit of diversity in food out this way too, that has, has impressed people. Um, But I have to ask you, because, you know, there is Canadian food. Have you had an opportunity to give poutine a try yet? I have not tried poutine yet. In my defense, I've only been here for a couple of weeks. Well, I, I mean, a couple of weeks is enough. I mean, I've been but... to Tim Hortons. That was, ah, that was okay. a good experience. Yeah. So I've tried to, to do my Canadian rounds, um, <laughs> but poutine is still on the list. Yeah. And I guess out, out your way, beaver tails are the other big thing. Beaver tails maybe not as big out west here if you come out this way, but... Uh, yeah, beaver tails, I, I understand. They even have stores called beaver tails. That's all they oh, sell. Really? I don't know if you've heard of them. That will, that will go on the list also. Yeah, it's it's a essentially a pastry covered in cinnamon and sugar, deep fried. So it's it's oil and sugar and all sorts of Canadian goodness built in. Maple syrup too, I think. I don't yeah, know. I remember somebody telling me about beaver tails and I was like, is that real beaver tails? No, no. It's no, just a no. <laughs> no, no, not real beaver tails. That'd be a whole different restaurant experience. Um, the topic of Canada as it pertains to the Overwatch League, this is a question we actually had asked Baroy. He joined us uh, a week or so ago. Um, when it comes to teams that you face, are there any teams out there that you hope to beat? Um, you know, it's that little bit more than anyone else. I mean, you had said, hey, we want to win. That's what we go into. But there's got to be a team or two out there where you're like, yeah, but that's the one I want to win. Just just that much more. 
Well, a very shooing question. Of course, you know, I've been on the shock so long and we've got so many guys from the shock and, you know, they've been so good for so long mm-hmm. that, you know, if we can show them up a couple times, especially with the O2 blast against AT rivalry, <laughs> yeah. um, I think, you know, that would be a very, very big boost to everybody. Uh, so definitely, you know, if we face them, we're going to try just, just a little bit harder. And then, you know, for, for some of the other guys and me also, we also want to beat Atlanta. Uh, mm-hmm. who have a very talented roster also this year. So I think between, you know, Atlanta, who is like the superstar team who, who brought all these superstar players together, uh, we want to kind of show them up as synergy over talent. Uh, and when it comes to shock, you know, we want to show that AT is better than O2. Uh, but of course, we'll, we'll try our hardest in every single match. But mm-hmm. when we face those two teams, I think we'll, we'll try just that little bit harder. Okay. Has the organization, like those above, had come and said, "Hey, here's a circle list. This on your. I, mean, I don't think you have a schedule yet, but when it does come out, circle list this team. This is a match we need to to win." I Any think the organization very much wants dominance over Canada. Yeah, um, that's sort of where I was going to. And I, this this comes from a, a conversation that we had had with Adam, um, I think two seasons ago, where he had said, "Oh, I've made it very clear, we don't lose to Vancouver." I mean, we want to be competitive in every match, but yeah, you do not lose. And I, I mean, we joke like, oh, is that how you said it? Yeah. He's like, no, I was very explicit. You do not lose to that team. So I was just wondering if maybe there's still this influence. Because in again, you are in what many outside of the area will call the center of the, the universe. Um, you know, hockey, if you've had a chance to come and you know watch the, the Maple Leafs at all. But they were just recently here in Vancouver. And, uh, you know, the Vancouver Canucks weren't having a successful season treated it as if it was their final. Um, the fans were up for it. The Leaf sucks chants were going on. And that's an experience throughout Canada. Whereas, you know, in Toronto, there's a reason why they have the Raptors and the Blue Jays and no other Canadian team does. So there's, you know, this chip on our shoulder. And I, I don't think a chip exists there. So I had to ask. I, right. No, I don't. As a, as a rivalry. Uh, as a Dutch person, I'm pretty into ice skating. Like uh, mm-hmm. when I was younger, I did ice skating classes and stuff. We don't do it like you do here. We you mostly mm-hmm. do like the smaller rinks or ice hockey. We like yeah. do the longer ice skating with the big ring uh, and the giant ice skates. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely you know if we get the chance, I'll try and take the guys out to to some some good ice hockey. Yeah. Uh, and when you know. Walking around and you know, just looking into like the bars and stuff. Everybody's watching ice hockey. Yeah. It's 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 massive. It's like soccer is in Europe. It feels like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the I mean, it has it ha- Overwatch League hasn't reached that level yet. But I mean, the Canadian um, men's national team did not podium in an Olympics, and the federal government put together a committee to evaluate what went wrong. That's that's how important the quote-unquote national sport is, is that the government gets involved when the team doesn't do well. So, again, Overwatch League, maybe not at the same level, but you're getting there. You're, you're going that direction. Uh, you know, as we look to, to wrap things up, I've, I've got a handful of, uh, you know, somewhat might say silly questions, but uh, the first one, um, I've just promoted you to become the head of the Overwatch League. You have all the power. Is there anything that you might change or look to implement being that you're now the guy who can make these decisions? So I believe Overwatch as a whole, you know, the power comes from its viewers and its fans, you know. So first you have to put the game 
in a position where it's enjoyable for, you know, even the lower ranks, right? I'm, you know, may, maybe some of the players don't agree with this, but I'm very much a, the pro should play the game, but it should be balanced around every rank, right? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, there are going to be characters who, who are much stronger at the top ranks because of this, such as Tracer, Sojourn, uh, even Kiriko, like you've seen in Ranked. Um, but I believe, you know, a, a game is only as strong as its player base is, and the viewership of the Overwatch and the revenue is only going to be as strong as the player base. Uh, so I say, you know, make as much as you can in the game that reminds people of the Overwatch League and make the game as awesome as you can through, you know, the PvE. Uh, put a lot of effort into that. Frequent balance changes, you know, be very mm-hmm. experimental. I wish they did a little, little bit more extreme balance changes, you know, so things would become fun and unbalanced. Um <laughs> You know, this might throw a wrench in some of our plans sometimes, but I think that, you know, has to be something we deal with uh, rather than, you know, everything being centered around, like, how pro players play. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, as a whole, if we can make more people play Overwatch, then the Overwatch League will flourish, right? So, you know, things like that include, we have to put this game in front of as many people eyes as you can. So, you know, maybe... Now that the YouTube deal is over, go back to Twitch and put, you know, as many things that remind you of Overwatch League teams in the game. Put sprays, put, you know, things on on points in the map that remind you of them. Maybe give, like, each team their own map they can choose. Like, give London King's Row and put London signs there and, you know, do do silly stuff like this that doesn't harm the gameplay, but just makes people point in the direction of the Overwatch League and put the game in front of as many people as you can. And that's how, you know, you'll get people to watch the Overwatch League more. Um, It just comes from the power of the player base, right? Any game, Mm -hmm. if you don't have a big player base, like in Overwatch 1, the player base was dwindling. They have a fantastic opportunity of Overwatch 2. It's been received great convert that keep converting that like they they almost did in the playoffs where the viewership was you know mm-hmm. amazing mm-hmm. um other than overwatch what's your favorite game currently probably tft i've been i've okay. been playing a lot mm-hmm. of tft it's it's very much a de-stress game um you know like you make your triples you, you play the game it's a little bit of tactics but I think it's 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 nice. Other than that, I play a lot of chess. The whole team plays a lot of chess. Everybody's gone on the chess hype. Uh, since we went on the boot camp, we were playing so much over-the-board chess that since then, everybody has sworn to become good at chess. Hydron and OG and Sam uh, started the last, but they're now playing in every single one of their queues in Overwatch. Uh, and then, you know, me, Kalush, Speedily, and Ultraviolet probably started more early. Um, mm-hmm. But... You know, if there's any team that wants to take us on in a, in a competitive chess match, <laughs> uh, they can come find us. So a competitive chess uh, show match could be set up. That could that could be fun. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks again for taking time to, to join us. I, you know, I really enjoyed the conversation. And, and my hope is, is that we might be able to, to get an opportunity maybe, you know, midway through the season to check in with you and uh, hear how, how things are going. Um, I just want to give you an opportunity. Is there anything that you might want to, you know, say or share with the listeners before we look to wrap up? Right. I think, you know, everybody can be can be really excited about this new Toronto. I think we have a lot of identity. I think, you know, with, with what we've been doing these past months, I think everybody can look forward to a whole season of interesting tweets, uh, maybe things that shouldn't be said, but just character, you know. 
And then mm-hmm. also the skill to back up that character and, you know, hopefully the building of the future for this team and, and giving it, you know, some new power, new identity. Uh, Cause I think that's what the league needs. Awesome. And then, you know, for the, for all the fans of Toronto, maybe new fans, old fans, everyone alike, you know, I think you have a, an amazing season to look forward to. And, you know, I hope you can keep supporting us. Awesome. Well, again, good luck in, in the upcoming season. I know, uh, you know, from what we understand, uh, scrims are are starting to to get well underway. And uh, as you've just wrapped up your boot camp, I hope the snow brought you all together. Uh, but uh, this was Kisara, head coach of the Toronto Defiant. And we will take ourselves a short break before we are back to wrap up the show. fun conversation oh yeah definitely this is really yeah. re- uh, you know go ahead oh go ahead no you go i was just gonna say it was really good to uh get to hear him speak uh candidly about a few things um mm-hmm. kind of hear about his philosophy on on the team as a whole yeah i i sort of you know think back to our conversations uh with kdg in, in comparison i mean we think about uh, toronto and it's interesting to hear the approach as being quite a bit different. Like, I think, you know, if you think about KDG, it's, here's the system, and this is the system the players played into. Whereas Kasoros had sort of said, hey, we are going to go and, and, yes, have a system, and we're going to go and do the right things, and that will bring us, you know, together. And it, the different outlooks, and I think their success can be had both ways. But I believe with what we're, we're seeing, at least hearing, we haven't really seen a whole lot yet. Um, the potential for some really good things to happen in Toronto. And I, you know, we didn't ask about it and maybe we should have, but Toronto has often been told about the two year plan. Yeah. This feels more like a plan of development over two years, as opposed to like, I mean, you think about our, our conversations with the, the defiant with the, the two day KDG seasons, it was a two-year opportunity, mm-hmm. not so much a two-year plan, right? Like, I don't know. Did you get that sense? Yeah, I am. Um, I I'm a big believer, and I think a lot of what Casores is 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 peddling, if you will. Um, you know his his philosophy behind the team synergy being mm-hmm. such a significant component is definitely something that I agree with. I think this team, given their history and pre-existing synergy and everything. I think they're, they have a good chance of punching above where I think their stats on paper maybe would say they should land. Um, granted, I, I personally didn't have a problem with a lot of the so-called weaknesses that people see in this team. Um, I mean, one specifically being Kaluj. I actually was quite impressed with his performance last season, and I think a lot of people point to him being one of the weaker parts of this roster. Um, yeah, personally, I don't have that problem. So anyways, I, I definitely like what Kasoras is uh, is looking to build for the future here. Yeah, and you know, it, he, he 
kind of reference the success the Titans had in their inaugural season, obviously mm-hmm. picking up runaway. But if there's one thing that we learned with this runaway roster is that they were a cohesive unit. Yes, yeah. there were some stellar players in that unit. But when you started to take them apart, mm-hmm. you know, you couldn't say, oh, you know, this is now going to be successful here because this player who is you know, good and early. Like Janu is an example who, you know, didn't see the same level of success. I mean, Twilight's a, a little bit different because he obviously went to the, the, the shock organization, Toronto. Mm-hmm. Maybe he didn't see as much success as they would like to, obviously, but no one player was able to go and, and sort of maintain that. But as a unit together, mm-hmm. they were a dominant force. And I kind of get the, you know, same feel here. Is this a, a dominant force that to your point, maybe not dominant as the writer, but it has the ability to punch above their weight class mm. because they get that sort of plus one. It's like the, the set of armor that you collect that has the synergy together. Yeah. yeah totally. Right. Um, I think we missed a question though. We didn't ask him what his, uh, his, uh, you know, favorite collab opportunity might be. Uh, you know, I actually, I did think of that as well. Um, mm-hmm. should have jumped in there, but. Yeah, I, I actually wonder, you know, I mean, he was talking about integrating, you know, the Overwatch League within the the game engine itself. I really like the idea. Like, yeah. it seems like a missed opportunity that as you are are playing New Queen Street, there isn't a Toronto Defiant like poster or something present. And I understand not every city has a map. And while he said, oh, you could have cities choose their maps. Does Vancouver slap a poster on a Toronto map? Like, I don't know how, how that would work. You could easily have something like a highlight a battle for Canada in, in those maps or something, you know, a poster yeah, of I guess Vancouver you're... against Toronto, something like that. You mm-hmm. know? Um, I, I like that ideology behind the game as well and behind monetization of mm-hmm. the game as well. Um, we've heard a couple other uh, GMs and coaches and things talk about ideas like that. I want to say, I can't remember if it was the GM for washington or boston uh the two of them were in an interview together i believe again credit where credit is due with i think it was yiska um and one of them i want to say it was washington and i can't remember his name right now but he actually spoke about having you know teams work like teams as an overwatch league teams work with the development Mm -hmm. team to design a skin for the team so not just a this is a toronto defined skin but a almost toronto skin right something that is more of you know one character kind of like how you know let's say shock had the uh the doomfist skin for their championship season or the roadhog skin uh back when they won that roadhog meta season uh against soul um something like that but allow each team to do that and allow that to be more of uh a part of the monetization model behind the game to really build its success um i had never thought of or or heard someone present something like sores did with yeah, having a team featured in a map and things like that. I think that's a really cool idea. Um, yeah. But yeah, exciting stuff. Yeah. Anywho, um, you might be wondering why we haven't talked about uh, the Dallas Fuel or the fact that we're starting to see rosters of some of the late announced teams. That's all for next week's show, the regularly scheduled episode. This is just a bonus show. Um, to give you uh, an idea of what uh, next week's show will include, it's obviously all the regular stuff, but we are going to be joined by Papa Punk. That's right. Punk's uh, dad's going to join us, talk a little bit about uh, the parental perspective uh, as it uh, exists uh, within supporting an Overwatch League 
Pro and uh, anything else that we might be able to to, to think of. And uh, down the road, uh, we had a little bit of an update uh, with Adam in his recent, uh, you know, uh, promotion to becoming interim CEO of the uh, Overwatch or Overwatch, sorry, Overactive Media. Uh, he has had to, um, you know, regretfully, you know, decline the opportunity to join us, at least for the time being. Um, but we are going to have uh, someone else fill in uh, on his behalf. Um, and again, that's something we will get scheduled. It's not quite yet uh, set up, so we will let you know the moment we do. But uh, if you haven't, uh, you know, done so already, we would love to have you in our Discord. RSP Discord is accessible by going to discord.io slash readysetpwn. Uh Tell us how you thought about the the conversation. Um, was there anything that Kasora said that uh, you know impressed you, surprised you, shocked you, uh, or anything that maybe we didn't ask that we should uh, note for that uh, potential uh, connection that we have uh, midway through the season? Uh, and uh, obviously, we are uh, everywhere else uh, online at Ready Set Pwn, including ReadySetPwn.com. So on behalf of the Missing and Jack Action, Omni at Omni Strife, Jordan at Sir Dr. JM, the host of the One Man Watchpoint Podcast, and myself, Chris at Lightforce, I'm signing off this bonus episode with words, catchphrase. Thank you.